the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com for the return of the Premier League. Golf is back. NASCAR is in full swing. We don't quite know where basketball, baseball, and hockey are heading just yet. The NBA, WNBA just announced plans to return in the end of July. And, of course, plenty of future discussions as well, including a headline article here from the NBA staff of The Athletic who did a really interesting analysis on where the Warriors may be going. Could they go worse to first? Should they keep their potential number one overall pick? Should they trade it? Should they keep Andrew Wiggins? There are so many options for a team that's that loaded, and they did a really great piece. Scott Allen and I have done some work on this as well in the podcast. We'll probably circle back around to this, I'm sure, as the offseason nears, whenever that is, but <laughs> there's so many questions. But visit theathletic.com slash track S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your annual subscription. That's $2.99 a month for plenty of long-form articles just like this. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy new week to you. We've got plenty to talk about here. We're going to go around the world a little bit with sports, dive into a little bit of baseball, certainly some basketball. And we've had some uh, some requests from the socials that we're going to bring to, bring to bring to light here on the show, specifically with how the you know the big four leagues that we cover basketball, baseball, hockey, and football are paying their players across a tiered structure. So you know the thought came about when Major League Baseball's owners proposed that first offer that had salary tiers, players that made less than a million or less than five million, ten million etc., all the way up to $20 million would be paid differently based on how big their original contract was to start. It's a really unique idea. Scott and I spent a lot of time on that, and Scott spent some time to figure out the math of that. And I think we both kind of fell in love with it a little bit because it does kind of even the playing field out, especially in a situation like this where nobody's going to be in a good spot, and you want to make sure that the guys who started with $36 million salaries had a chance to at least get as much of that back as possible without impacting the minimum salary players too much. So I thought the sliding scale was neat. Uh, what we've done is we sort of looked at percentage wise where all of these leagues are spending their money. So how many players are at 20 million plus, how many players are over 10 million in salary. Uh, so we took the 2019, 20 season for pretty much all. So we'll see, we'll see some comparisons of how these leagues are spending a couple of surprises for me. So if I'm surprised, I hope you guys are too, because uh, I had some premonitions of where this might end up, and some of these numbers are a little bit skewed versus what I thought it was going to be. So where do these leagues stand from a salary structure from A to Z? We'll have Scott Allen on for that. And oh, by the way, we're one month away, exactly one month away, from the deadline for franchise tag players in the NFL to sign long-term contracts. That's your Chris Jones, your Dak Prescott's, your Derrick Henry's of the world. Uh, boy, there's so much uncertainty with that. I mean, every, every time I get asked, I know less and generally speaking, this time of year, my answer would be, it's just going to have to get closer. You know, the deadlines, as the deadline approaches, more action happens. You know, the, the wheels start to spin a little quicker and things start to get done. We've seen that now with negotiations of players, even up to the regular season. Last year, Zeke Elliott, um, he was basically in Cabo week one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jerry finally folded and gave him his $90 million contract. So I, I would say the same is true in many cases, but because of the uncertainty with revenue and fans and, you know, can we even have full seasons? I'm not positive that these franchise players, A, that teams want to sign the contracts or B, do players want to lock in right now knowing what could happen next year and the uncertainty of all of these leagues specifically. But 
Um, we'll see. You know, I, I think anytime somebody wants to offer you $100 million, you'd probably say yes. But we'll see how many of those franchise tag players will push forward and get themselves a multi-year contract. We'll do another article soon on spytrack.com that outlines who these players are, what their market values are in terms of our calculations, and some future thoughts on what we think might happen positionally speaking. Okay, let's talk some tiered salary structures. Have you ever wanted to take a shot at getting a $12,000 Michael Jordan rookie card or a $1,600 autographed Tom Brady helmet for a fraction of the price? Hit Parade is the premier authentic autographed sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the country. Take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in the game like Jordan, Brady, Zion, Trout, and plenty more. Get your box today at Hit Parade's exclusive online provider, dacardworld.com. That's www.dacardworld.com. No one has more hits than Hit Parade. Joining us now on the Hit Parade hotline, visit dacardworld.com for your mystery memorabilia box. Scott Allen, the other piece of the Trek puzzle. All right, Scott, welcome back to the show. Happy Monday. Tuesday, if you're listening to this on a Tuesday. Um, let's talk a little bit about how these leagues are tiered right now from a salary standpoint. I mentioned in the open that the idea, the offer that the Major League Baseball owners proposed originally kind of piqued our interest because it's it's similar to something you and I do a lot with these leagues, which is try to understand the ranges of pay you know, from the rookies to the sophomores and then up to the veterans, of course, and how that may have shifted from a trend standpoint over the past couple of seasons, because it certainly is. Well, we finally took some time here, mostly you, uh, to, to, to put it into, into spreadsheet form and sort of understand where we are right now across the big four leagues. Um, before we get into the numbers, and we'll try to be number friendly here because we're on, you know, sitting in front of microphones. Did any of this surprise you? Did you have an idea of what this might be in your head, you know, based on which leagues would have a ton of players on low salaries versus high salaries or, uh, you know, which middle classes maybe were stronger than the others. Did you have any of that in your head? Uh, I, I think the NBA caught me by most surprise at how, um, spread out the data is as far as the tiers that we did uh the we the topic of mlb with how many people are in the lower salaries with them i mean yeah that's the big the buzz lowest. right now right <laughs> it, it is but in when you talk about percentages that we're going to talk about they're they're not the lowest right NFL and NHL have extremely low amount of players in a, in the lower tier that we're talking about. Um, so what I did is I, the lowest tier, I took the minimum value that players can earn. So in baseball, it was 563,500, uh, NFL 1.03 million, NBA, I took the 2.56 million, which is the highest for a 10-year vet, mm -hmm. and then NHL 700,000. So I took that as my lowest tier, and then the next tier I took that minimum up to uh, just below five million, and then I did five to 10, 10 to 15, 15 to 20, and then 20 and above. And it, it, the results were really interesting when you look at all the sports compared in one screen. Um, uh, like I said, basketball is, pr 
probably the most spread out of all of uh, the leagues that we're talking about here. Um, NFL from five below 5 million, 81% of the league is below 5 million. That's crazy. 81%. It's that, crazy. It is. And this is off the 2019 numbers, right? That is off 2019. Yeah. Basketball, hockey, and football. I went off of, uh, sorry. Yes. 2019. And then bas- uh, baseball was 2020. Yeah. We've got projected um, I, 26 man rosters that we use for that. Right. So I went off of the, the 2019 for football because right now we, the rosters are bloated with up to um, yeah the uh, 90s. Uh, all the extras. So, um, yeah, so well, that, that's actually a pretty, that's actually Scott a pretty good point to to build off of here because isn't that why basketball is so balanced because their overall roster is not loaded with fluff? <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, that's a great point. I, I mean, I think about football and I understand that every single player on that roster has a role, and I'm not trying to demean anybody, even though I've spent six months destroying running backs on this show. Um, but if you think about it. There are just guys who have singular jobs on that 53-man roster when, when they, you know, start lace it up for week one. You're just not going to have – it's really hard from an economical standpoint to see a middle class growing ever again in football because of that. Because you're going to have superstars who bring seats, butts the seats when that's allowed again, who sell jerseys and, of course, win football games. And then you've got – a rookie wage scale that, you know, keeps everybody under a million dollars for the most part. You know, that's obviously a sliding scale as the cap grows, but you know, it's a miracle if you can get yourself above $5 million and you're not one of those two things, right? I mean, if you're just out there on your own and you're not a quarterback or a, or a top three wide receiver or, or one of those positions that we know pays well, you're really up against it. And if I, I think about the same thing with baseball rosters, I, th- I think about the same thing there. We, I mean, we, we've talked about, or it's been widely reported that these 40, these 40 man rosters, you know, 65% of them make less than a million dollars. We've got a little bit closer look at that. And you, you sort of just laid that out, but again, they're, they're going to, they, I think for this COVID-19 season, if there is one, they're going to expand to 30 man. That's going to be 15 pitchers per staff. That's, that's a lot of fluff. There's a lot of pitchers there who have one job, go get a lefty out or one job, you know, bail the starter out for how, however, you know, you know, remains on an inning that he can't get out of. There's going to be, if they're just increasing the fluff is my point. And, and when I think about basketball, yes, you've got guys, you know, the 11th and 12th players on those, on those rosters who sit on a bench and, and warm up jerseys drinking Gatorade all game, but it's not dozens of players. It's not. I mean, it's not. There's no special team player on an NBA on an NBA roster, is what I'm saying. No, so, right, the game lends itself way more to everybody making a little bit of the buck. And to their point, this is what this is exactly the discussion that LeBron James and Chris Paul and those players who got into a room with Donald St- David Stern said basically, we we got to stop this. Like we we've, we've got to raise everybody up so that we can make more. And, and it's happened. I mean, you're going to see LeBron make $50 million, give or take, in a couple of years. And go, why don't we dive into the NBA kind of off this conversation? Because you're right. The balance is impressive. But just just read the numbers you've got here from a, from a low to a high. Yeah, so the minimum below 39% of the players 
Uh, the minimum up to 5 million is 17%, 5 to 10, 15, uh, five, 10 million to 15 million, 10%. So 25% of the league makes between five and 15 million, a quarter of yeah. the league. That's pretty darn mm-hmm. good. After, after what I just mentioned with football, how it's just almost impossible to imagine. I mean, imagine, boy, who's, who's a good example? Mitchell Trubisky. Imagine Mitchell Trubisky, if he's exiled out of Chicago. I mean, look at Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton just had 10 solid seasons as a starting quarterback. He couldn't even get himself three, you know, $4 million as a quarterback. So imagine being an inside linebacker trying to make $5 million. It's just not going to happen. So to, to that credit, I mean, a quarter of the league making five to 15, you're going to have some, some of the ninth, 10th, 11th players on the bench there. Don't you think? Yeah, I do. And, and let's, let's go back and preface this. These are the, the AAVs that I'm using. We're not using cash. We're not using cap. We're using the, average annual value of these contracts that the players sign just to be, uh, uh, clear everyone listening. Sure. But, um, yeah. And it, it helps that the NBA has a rookie scale where Zion Williamson mm-hmm. is averaging 10 million already. So you got, you have players that are in the first round who are getting up into above that threshold into the middle tier already coming out of college or yep. out of Europe. So, and then to finish it off, 15 to 20 million was 6%. And then 20 plus million, we have 13% of players um, are making 20 million or more is their average. So, um, and, and to go back to that 81% that I mentioned, that's 5 million and below, to put that into context, Major League Baseball has 69% of the players of 5 million below 5 million. Yeah. NHL, NHL has 74% below 5 million. And then when we look at basketball, it's 56% is below 5 million. So it, it shows you right there the scale of each league where they're really paying the majority of their players. There are less than 2% of the NHL makes more than $10 million. Less than ten. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Less than two percent. I, I mean, and that I mean, Ovechkin's less than ten. Crosby's less than ten. There, it's it's only a handful of players. Truly, a handful of players. And I know the cap's lower. The rosters are are bigger than basketball, and certainly the you know the TV money's not there. So there's a lot that goes into this. But to be able to see this, and maybe we'll tweet out tweet out this uh, league comparison you have here, just so it's it's kind of clear what we're looking at, but. I mean, that's to me what the NHL has done is is backwards thinking to what the NBA has done, and I and I think those two leagues are aligned in a lot of ways. They're very global. They they carry the same schedules, eighty two games with a, a an important playoff, a very important postseason. Uh, so in a lot of ways, I do align them, but obviously one is on one extreme and one is on the other for a lot of you know a lot of discussions. But yeah. this should be something that the NHL can work on. It's been, a, I've heard it a, a, a gazillion times from a marketing standpoint, we've got to take better care of our superstars. And this is proof in the pudding right here. This is, this is what I was referencing to when I mentioned that LeBron and Chris Paul got into a room and said, look it, we are selfish. We are here for selfish reasons, but we're going to, but it's, everybody's going to benefit. If, if we bring that rookie wage scale up, if we bring that middle class up, if we raise our ability for max contracts, across the league, it means 
you're going to have your Ben Simmons and those players who, who are probably fringe max players. Let's be honest. There's, there's a lot of guys on max contracts right now in the NBA who I think a lot of us would go, what? But because, mm-hmm. because that thing that exists, because that leverage point exists for agents, it gets utilized. And every time somebody signs a max contract, everybody else comes up. Everybody makes more money because of it. It's just how it works. So the fact that the NHL is suppressing players like Crosby and Ovechkin, forcing them to sign these 12-year, 13-year contracts, which you know I can't stand, that's a part of it, though. Because it, it, with those guys locked in that long, nobody else can grow around them. There's nobody, that, there's nobody that's going to surpass Connor McDavid right now. Who is good enough on the ice to go into the negotiating room and say, oh, I, I'm, I got to make more than Connor McDavid. Nobody, but Connor McDavid's no. locked in for eight years now. I, so he's going to be at 12 and a half million for eight more years. And nobody is going to be production wise, better enough, good enough to pass him. So where is the league going to go? That's the discussion yeah. here. Like to me, that's it the, is. It, it's the sexiest per, point to start at, at, at the top with these huge contracts, but it's also the most important because I, you know, not to get political here, but, there is a trickle-down effect. <laughs> there is. There's a trickle-down effect in sports finance. We've seen it happen. The NBA is living proof that it works. Yes, there will be a breaking point to it. We've talked about that too. There's going to be a point where, it, where the balloon bursts and they can't reach higher. You know, They can't get the $70 million a year, whatever that number is going to be. You know, Maybe this COVID stuff is really a, a manufactured breaking point. We'll see. But I, I, look, at the, I look at the leagues that, that have that kind of pay and Oh, by the way, the NFL is one of them. I mean, the NFL is up there. They're they're getting better because they're sort of adopting. Here's the here's the one thing the NFL is doing, and I, and I wonder your thoughts on this, Scott. I, I had a discussion today with somebody about Jadavian Clowney and where where I thought he was going to land, and I said, "You've here here's the here's the problem with the idea of of money in football right now. You've got half of the experts, guys that we follow, you know, guys and girls that we follow, saying, oh, no, no, he's done enough.'" he should be the next $20 million contract. And you're going to hear the same for guys like, uh, what's a good example of a quarterback who, so maybe Josh Allen. You're going to hear the same for Josh Allen maybe this year if he has another solid year with Buffalo and the Bills really do contend like we think they might. Um, that's a fringe max player. That's the Ben Simmons conversation I'm having in the NBA where I don't think if you put Josh Allen into a, into a contract calculator like we, like we do every now and then, he's ever going to come up in Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson territory in terms of evaluation. But this next man up philosophy, that's this is what agents and players and experts think drives the league. We've just got to keep the keep moving. But Javian Clowney is actually he could be an a counterpoint to this whole discussion because he is not a $23.5 million player. He should not be making Khalil Mack money. And I don't think he thinks he's that high, but I think he wants $20 million. And our numbers say he's worth 17 and I'm hearing the Browns maybe offer him 15 and that's the high, but there's a real chance for, cause look, the numbers aren't going away. Analytics are, are going to stick. They're, they're only going to get worse and worse and worse and drive more points home. And there's a real chance for a guy like Jamie Clowney to, to sort of set and be the cornerstone for this upper middle class, which you've your, your point right here. I mean, we're looking at an upper middle class that is gone. It's just flat out gone in all the leagues. And you're, if you, that's to the Ben Simmons point, most, most players just bypass the upper middle class and get to the elite, get to max money because it's right there and it's only a couple million dollars more and it's cost controlled. It's percentage controlled. So for instances like next year where the cap might drop, it's 
The teams, mm-hmm. the teams are able to slide that salary down accordingly. Um, smart, by the way. But in, in the NFL, I think there's going to be a kind of a call to Jesus to come back to earth a little bit for players like Josh Allen, for Sam Darnold, for, for that group that, boy, they're not Patrick Mahomes. They're not Russell Wilson. Even if convention says they should be the next highest contract, contract in the league because the cap has risen and they've done enough on their rookie wage scale to get there, at some point, somebody's going to have to put their foot down and say, all right, I'm not 30, I'm not $40 million a year, but I'm comfortable with 36, right? Or I'm comfortable with, with 18% of the cap instead of 20% of the cap, because that's where I want to be. I hope there's a group, a consensus group of players that settle into that point for the better part of football, because we do need the middle class to turn into an upper middle class and some of the elite to come back down to the upper middle class to, to preserve that, that whole portion of this pie chart that you've got in front of us. And that's a big conversation with baseball, Scott. And I'll, I'll, I'll pose this question to you because the conversation with baseball now is 65% or less than a million on the 40 man roster, 60, almost 69% of the active players make less than five, which you're talking pre-arbitration players, early arbitration players, or veterans who just settle for a million dollars a year because that's what they think they, they, can, they can live on as a role player at the twilight of their career. Um, where are we going with baseball specifically if your Pete Alonzo's and your Ronald Acuna's and your Juan Soto's get their money now? Which, it, which two of, you know, one of the three of those players already has. Acuna signed his $100 million contract. I, I would guess Juan Soto is next. And then if mm-hmm. Pete Alonso has another year like he had last year, he's going to get offered over $100 million. No question. The Mets are going to try to get, lock it in. But where are we going with baseball? And, and how is it going to affect this graph we're looking at if players decide, I'm not waiting for free agency. I'm going to accept this rookie extension with my current team and get myself, you know, uh, financial preservation for the rest of my life, even though it's not going to be Mike Trout money, Bryce Harper money, you know, Albert Pujols money back in the day. Are we going to see a significant shift in how this works and how will that affect the game? Knowing what you know about basketball and rookie max contract extensions and how that process works, because I think there's a parallel and, and maybe the smarter people really are, are kind of putting those two situations together with how basketball is treating their players versus how baseball might be trying to treat their players. Well, to, to go with the, the, the first part of with baseball, I think some of those players will sign and it will shift the pie graph a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be significant because we're only talking about probably a handful of players. And I mean, we're talking 536 players have five less than $5 million dollars. If you even take a handful of those, the percentage isn't going to shift enough. Um, The structure, and I believe we've talked about it in the past, the structure of what really is going to have to happen is Major League Baseball is going to have to fix their minimum salary to have some sort of tiered system like football or basketball so that you can at least have a shift. I mean, we're talking the minimum is 563 and a half thousand dollars the minimum for basketball is two and a half million Mm -hmm. and the lowest the lowest for basketball 
is 898,000. Mm-hmm. So, so their, their minimum is way higher than baseball. I get the, the, the rosters are not apples to apples, but baseball needs to do a better job of scaling the, the, that lower minimum value for those players. And I think once you do that, you may get a shift. Now, if I go back to your, your previous point with the NHL, yeah, they, yes, they have 82 games. Basketball has 82 games. But I think the issue with hockey is they're hard capped. Yep. They, they have no room to spend on free agents. Ever. And when they do spend on their own players, it exhausts any cap space they ever have. So the only way that they can spend on free agents or their own minor league guys are by paying them the low minimum salaries or prorated or anything like that. Or via the trade, which is how for a long time, the, the NHL trade deadline was one of the highlights of the season for, for, for guys like us who follow this stuff. But even that's dwindled off, Scott. Even that has gone right. away to some degree. The last, I think, three years have been relatively boring and underwhelming. So if that part but, of it's going away too, so if, so if there's a weak free agency, which there always is, and there's a dwindling trade market, now you're having almost no movement. And again, we've talked about this. That's awful for the league. Awful. You, yeah, and long you contracts the, and no movement are bad for business. Yeah, and when you look at our graphs here, basketball has a ton of movement. Again, player forced. And they have that soft cap where you can sign above the the cap with the rights and all that. I would be extremely interested in seeing if any, the NHL went to an NBA style cap where they had a flexible cap and they had the rights and all that. A, what would the movement be? It would definitely go up and um, B, you would have space to sign players or if you enacted a sign and trade like we've seen, you would have that movement. But your salaries would definitely shift to a better um, amount of spread than it has now. Let me throw this at you uh, because, again, I think there's there's no disagreement that the NHL is the fourth on this list in terms of how the revenues and the, the finances work. They're still trying to play with the big boys, though. I mean, they've got the hard cap. There's a ton of revenue sharing, which we've had Kevin Sylvester discuss it based on his time with the Buffalo Sabres for a bit. Um, and that still exists, you know, a decade later. There's tons of revenue sharing to make sure that the little guys can compete um, to, to a lot of degree. Well, and this is going to sound somewhat harsh. It, it isn't good for the NHL when the San Jose Sharks or the Nashville Predators or the Florida Panthers or the Tampa Bay Lightning are in the finals. It's not good. No, and, and I understand the the need to share the wealth a little bit and make sure that all of your, your franchises can at least survive. But is the NHL in a spot where they should start to rethink that and make sure that Toronto and New York and Chicago and LA and the markets that pay the bills can win some hockey games and can be in the postseason on an annual basis because Chicago has been terrible. The Rangers have been terrible. Toronto just paid through the roof for offense and they weren't, they weren't even close to the best team in hockey. Um, and LA is in a, in a window, a down window as well. I mean, this is like, this is like ground zero for the NHL right now in terms of their major franchises. All, all of them are rebuilding right now to some, to some level of degree. Um, and you know, you put that with TV re- revenue, which is what you need right now more than ever, obviously with the lack of fans, 
how in the world do you know is it a situation scott where you think that they should maybe reduce revenue sharing at the very least possibly eliminate the whole thing and go to a more of like a premier league style not with the relegation but you know there's not going to be a there's not going to be a year in English Premier League where Manchester United, Manchester City, and Liverpool, Chelsea are not at least in the conversation for that championship, and they, it's on purpose. They allow those teams to spend whatever they can acquire through sponsorships, and that's why you see all the big names go to those clubs because they are the most popular clubs, they are the most marketable clubs. Therefore, they can sign the best players. Should hockey adopt something like this? Is this a better approach for that kind of league? Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. I'm even if they went to like a, a major league baseball system where you can spend what you can spend and there's a luxury tax threshold that if you exceed it, then you're going to be paying some extra, but that league is so restricted. Like you said, there's no movement. So anything that opens up the doors for those premier teams to bring in superstars, I mean, we're talking about 14 players in the entire league make $10 million or more. Yep. 14. That's 2% of their league is making upper echelon money. You can't have that in a league. You need your superstars to be paid and be the face of the, the league. And they don't have that right now. Um, you look at these other sports, they have T, they, they, like NFL, they have almost. Nine percent, eight nine percent of their league uh, of their players are ten million or more. Foot, uh, baseball has sixteen percent, ten percent, ten million or more, mm-hmm. and then basketball has twenty nine percent of their players are ten million or more. And NHL's got to do something, otherwise, I don't, I don't foresee them succeeding in the next twenty to twenty five years because they're going to be an unknown entity. I mean, we're seeing the MLS soccer, they're growing, they're adding franchises, but they're getting a following of fans, like hardcore fans. They're working to, they're working to acquire superstars. They are. That has been their mantra the entire decade. And it has been a good one. It has been, you've got to build something you can market. You have to, (laughs) you have to. and even if it's for a year or two, they're bringing yeah. in the names that people know from Europe and yeah. th- they're marketing themselves really well. And not that NHL doesn't have diehard fans. They do. But we're seeing MLS is, it, yeah. is expanding. It's kind of like when you had an exchange student in school, during school. Like the, like Washington just brought Wayne Rooney on as like an exchange student. Just come here for like a year and a half. You, yeah. can, you can eat some good food, play some soccer. And then they marketed the hell out of the guy. You know what I mean? They did the same thing with uh, with uh, Ebro, right? Ibrahim. Yeah, Ibrahim. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it works. What they, they they brought over David Beckham for a few years, and now he's owning a team in yep. Miami. So they're growing from within by bringing players over and showing that their league could be sustainable. And we're going to get into. Um, percent stakes in a little bit here yeah. with some other, with some other athletes, but at the NHL needs to do something to get rid of this hard cap because it is hard capping them from growing at all. It's a good um, point. It really is. All right. Anything else stand off, stand out off the page here? 
No, no. I think when you tweet this out, yeah, people are going to be very interested to see uh, the breakdown of the leagues because it is it's super interesting and again we we know that it's jaded we know that nhl rosters are bigger than nba rosters right. and nfl rosters carry 53 plus injured reserve and um we've and we, know, we're, we're certainly conscious of that we do we try to do these cross comparisons as um you know acquiesce as possible but um this is all about dollars and cents that's really what it is it, it's about showing and the reason i went off on my little rant there is it's about showing the various classes of the finances, the various tiers, because they, they, they speak for themselves. I mean, the pie charts build themselves here. You can obviously see which leagues have, have a bigger, lower class. It's clear as day. And I think the conversation have to be had here is how do we expand the second, third, fourth, fifth tiers in most of these leagues? I mean, the NHL only has four, <laughs> but, and quite frankly, basketball's got six and they, you're right. They're kind of, it's almost like somebody drew this up on purpose. That's how neat and clean basketball's tiers are. You can see the rookie wage scale. You can see the second tier of players who didn't get max contracts. That's what that is. That's just that those are sophomore contracts that weren't big enough to go max. Then you can see your sort of uh, the veterans, maybe the seventh, eighth, ninth players on the bench um, in a nice big green pie piece of pie and then everything up there above that is sort of gravy and the the upper tier the 20 million plus is a healthy 12 and a half percent it is it is a good portion it, it perfectly evens out the lower class the lower class plus the plus the upper class equals 50 percent of the league almost to a dot it's almost like the league is doing this on exactly on purpose every single contract signed has a purpose because it really is that neat and clean and, and, and organized. And I just think you see the, uh, the chaos and the randomness of the, of the other leagues, and there's certainly explanations for it, but I, I think it's fixable. I do think it's fixable, and I think it's, it's, it starts with, and, and maybe what baseball is doing right now is a good start. Maybe Juan Soto and, and Acuna and Blake Snell and Christian Yelich and these players who have not waited for free agency, who have said, I'm just going to get some money right now, and then whatever happens in my career after that is sort of gravy. It's not a terrible approach. They're not going to be making A-Rod money. <laughs> they know that. But, you know, A-Rod shouldn't have made A-Rod's money. <laughs> Let's be frank about that. <laughs> right? Um, mm -hmm. It's probably not a bad yeah. approach because it does sort of model this. this but that doesn't, that, that doesn't exclude the conversation you brought up, and I've said it before. The rookie scale has to change in baseball. It, it is does. the number one thing that has to be draw, drawn up in the new CBA uh, in 18 months here. It's got to change. Six years is too long. We want to see our players now. And that goes with players who are drafted. You mentioned some sort of slotted contract for a drafted player. Imagine that. Imagine if you were forced to pay drafted players a, a, a certain contract instead of just a slotted bonus which is basically here's some money, go away and get better. You know, what if you had to pay those players a contract like you did, you do in these other sports, you, they wouldn't be sitting in triple a, I'll tell you that they wouldn't be sitting down there on, on four year contracts. It just wouldn't happen. So I wonder if you can change from the, that low down to get players here earlier than to allow them to sign contracts earlier. Because look at, if you've got Acuna signing a contract that he can opt out of at age 26, this is where we are with these other, these other sports. 
Now he can he can opt out. Essentially, he's in free agency, although he's already made $60 million, right? And he's opt, he opts out and, and tries to get himself something bigger, maybe not even with the Braves because he could force himself out of Atlanta at that point if he wants to. Um, there's control. There's movement. There's good money being paid earlier, but then there's a there's still an opportunity for great money at age 26, which in baseball, that's you know that that could be extremely young. We don't know how the league's going to f- sort of pan out here. Certainly, NFL and NHL have yeah. have decreased their careers, but I, I just think that 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 might really be a starting point. The trend that's happening might actually be something that can really benefit that league right there. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, take for instance Zion. Zion's going to be 23 when yeah. he can sign. Well, when his extension would kick in, 23. That's three years earlier than Acuna is getting his, and he's going to make probably double what Acuna made. So let me ask you a question so, on this. One last question because it's it surrounds that. Because I was thinking in my head, we kind of already know Zion's financial path. We already know it. We you could already lay it out right now. But does he have to sign a five-year max? extension in two years or can he sign a two-year max uh i believe if they're signing that early they have to sign the super max five year okay well no no because uh siakam who was it one of the nba players signed a four-year and it wasn't a five. Okay. So no, you don't have to. It's just the maximum value that they can sign at. Um, yeah. So I just wonder if but, that's coming. I wonder if that's coming. If if we see these max contracts even get shorter, so that it allows players more control, more opportunities to leave, to not get locked into one franchise because you know, especially especially in a New Orleans situation, you know, you don't want to be be in a situation with like Anthony Davis where he basically had to force himself out of town and quit basketball for half a year. Uh, yeah. Like, like buddy healed, he signed an extension and his extension was a four year, $94 million contract. Okay. I mean, that puts them that puts them at 23 million a- a- average that kicks in for next year. So he's not being counted in this graph that we're talking about, but there's going to be a shift in the graph because there's going to be more players with these extensions that have, that are going to skew uh, to the, upper echelon a little bit or maybe uh down because of some of the like ben simmons that are locked into the percentage but like healed he wasn't percentage based so his 23 and a half is going to hit as is when when that comes through but going back to baseball yeah that minimum has to change but i think more so outside of the minimum is that year's threshold. I mean, six years under team control versus basketball, which is four years, NFL, four years for most of them, but there's that fifth year option. I mean, that three or four years is sort of that magic number. So if baseball can get those superstars locked in at an earlier age and and not have to deal with service time and, and all of that math that's involved, and then on top of it, NHL not being so hard capped on themselves that restricts them and handcuffs them from doing anything. Yeah. I mean, football and basketball are really the middle of the road uh, when you when you look at everything. Um, but even 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 football, th- there's not as many trades as you would hope to see. Um, NBA just has a really good model as much as the exceptions and all that. Uh, and I've harped on those before, 
but they do have a model that spreads the the financial wealth to their players and there's movement they're always relevant yep. uh not that football is not relevant i mean they're they're king right now and they're always in the news and even in the situation that we're in with being in quarantine yeah they're a tv but, show yep <laughs> but baseball we're seeing them right now in financial hell they don't know what the heck's going on and hockey they're almost they're becoming a non-existent factor outside of them coming back and being one of the first leagues to say that they're coming back here i haven't heard a thing since have you and i have not nothing um but you know it, it, it is going to be interesting to see when these upcoming cbas how things shift and it's going to be ugly, to look, Scott, because he, these things we're proposing are not easy. It, it is, but I am going to be extremely interested to take this graph and see what it looks like in 10 years. Sure. Is, is it going to be the same? Is it going to be more top-heavy, more more uh, spread out like basketball? How are these other leagues going to look moving forward? Um, it, it's going to be fun to see. So. I'll finish on this because it sort of puts a bow on the, the cross-sport com- conversation here. You mentioned that the NFL has lacked trades. I think that's heavily improving, and I think it's because of the NBA. I think players in the NBA who demanded out, I think Paul George and, and a couple of these other players that have basically said, and, you know, Russell Westbrook to some degree, you know, get me Anthony Davis. I just mentioned it. When you've got those players saying it's time for me to change teams and those teams oblige, everyone notices. That's huge. That, that, that's, that's not how this works. I mean, it's, it's owners down. It's been owners down for a long time. And now you've got players sitting up there basically saying, I can, I can do what I want, um, you know, within reason. You had Antonio Brown do it in Pittsburgh. Not, not so gracefully, but he did it. He got out. Uh, Stefan Diggs just did it in Minnesota. He wanted out. Didn't like the quarterback situation. Didn't like the coaching situation. He's a Buffalo Bill now. We're starting to see it. And that's a trend I think we want. Do, do we hate it? I don't think I hate this. If a player wants no. to be somewhere else and it's going to drive, you know, interest and it's going to make him maybe better, fine, go. Go. It, it'll be something we can talk about for forever, right? But uh, there will be more of that in the NFL. Here, I just looked this up quickly on the fly. There are 800-plus contracts now in Major League Baseball, active current contracts. There are currently only 56 contracts of six years or more. If I went back five years, that number would be closer to 100. There's no question. I guarantee mm-hmm. you we're down almost, almost half. And that's a trend that will continue. And I think that is good. I understand that means less guaranteed money for these players. I get it. I get it. That's why Bryce Harper locked in 13 years at some, you know, $330 million. I get it. Um, there's also an opt-out in his contract. There's going to be opt-outs in all these contracts. That's control. That's player control. That is trickling down from the NBA. All that stuff is coming from the NBA. How, how are NBA players becoming Instagram brands, becoming sponsored brands, opening up, you know, production companies while they're playing basketball, you know, why, why are their faces everywhere? This is why. This is why. Because LeBron James went from Cleveland to Miami to Cleveland to L.A. And, and he became the, the community 
the face of the community wherever he went. Of course he is. But all these players could do that. You're telling me if Mike Trout wasn't in, in New Jersey that he wouldn't, you know, the hometown kid wouldn't become the face of, the, of that area again. Bryce Harper, the same. I mean, yeah. there is something about the, the new kid in town. He doesn't even have to be the best player in baseball. It could be anybody. It could be any of these names. Um, you, you know, Max Scherzer leaving Detroit and coming to Washington. That that changed the Nationals. It changed that franchise because the, the, the fans there couldn't believe they got that guy. And, of course, look what happened. You know, three signings later, whatever it is. Um, movement draws so eyeballs, dollars, jersey sales, butts and seats, right. and it changes the dynamic of rosters. And whenever rosters change... You know, that's betting. Hey, gambling's a big part of this. All of this has to come together, and you can't have a stagnant league. And the NHL is stagnant. Let's be frank. Sidney Crosby's been a Pittsburgh Penguin his whole career. Ovechkin's been with Washington his whole career. McDavid has no eyeballs now to leave Edmonton his entire career. That That's bad for general business. It's great for the fan base and that community, of course. But stale doesn't work. Stale doesn't sell. Stale doesn't market. It just doesn't happen. So... I, the, as the contracts diminish in length in baseball, that will not be a bad thing, especially if they're signed early. It's definitely something I think will be better for baseball, and we're going to see it in all of these leagues. Scott, good stuff here with the data. We will tweet this out and sort of put some context to what we've been talking about here in these graphs we've been looking at. All right, a special thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash for 40% off. Plenty of articles, plenty of podcasts. We check it out every single morning. And oh, by the way, all of those articles are aligned with their team and players, specifically on SpotTrek.com. Really happy about that partnership. Visit DACardWorld.com for your mystery memorabilia box, the Hit Parade, and plenty more, by the way. My thanks to Scott Allen. My name is Mike Giannetti. We'll be back soon with another edition of the SpotTrek Podcast. Podcast.